It's not like anybody's going to cut us off. No. Unless you got something else to do. I don't nervous. know. Nervous. You trying I, to run a business or something? I'm trying. <laughs> I, I put a sign on the door that says oh. open from 12 to 6. We better be done with this by 12 because I don't think I can yeah. talk for that long. Um, but I want to make sure I have Aaron's number ready to ready to go. Oh, I think I'm hooked up to the oh, Bluetooth. Good. So okay. you can just give it to me later. Later? Do you have her number? I don't know. Oh, Jesus. I'll, we'll find it. All righty. Uh, let's not take up uh, an inordinate amount of time. Yes. Shall no, we? We shall. Because I record all this beginning part. Oh, you do? Yeah. That's unfortunate. <laughs> um, this mic is too high. I'm not high at all. I've what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 Welcome. <clears throat> what? I'm just getting ready. Here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Jesus. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And today- yeah, you didn't do it. Well, you didn't put it in there. What? Boy, do, boy, I have do a we show. have a show for you. Boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA, it's Get Smart with Aaron Moore as we continue to wrestle with the dark side of rehab, as depicted in the new film, Body Brokers, that we reviewed in episode 29. Which was last week, case for those keeping track at home. Right. Um, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Join us on our private and exclusive Facebook group <laughs> to whack intellectual and philosophical with me, Mike, and only the coolest RMA fans. A selection of memes of farm animals (laughs) having sex. Hey, it's free, so why not join the discussion? Uh, Great reviews will be read on the show. Open your Apple Podcast app, find our podcast, and quote, write a review. Please give us five stars as it helps RMA rank higher and reach more sick and suffering middle-aged addicts. Love it. Can I just uh, say that in addition to all of that sort of social media stuff. Yeah. One of the best ways for you to get the word out or help us get the word out about recovering in the middle ages is to, is very simple. Just tell a friend, tell yeah. a friend in recovery. When you're standing outside the AA meeting, wondering if you should go in because it's not really working for you and people are walking by you say, Hey, I have this great podcast that you should listen or to. Or if you're on one of these groups online and uh, oh yeah, that helps too. people are like, I don't know what to do. You're like, here's what you do. You right. listen to R M. Right. But don't make us the cornerstone of your recovery, please. No, please. Um, Hey, do we actually have uh, a review? I think we do. Oh. Should I read it? I think you should. Okay. This is from uh, Alex, who uh, recommends recovery in the Middle Ages. (laughs) I guess that's what you says recommends. Okay. Uh, I'm a little younger than the targeted demographic. Nonetheless, I relate to everything being talked about. I couldn't have found this podcast at a better time. It really gave me the second wind I needed to not pick up. I binged all the episodes in about three days. Holy fuck. Well, I didn't actually see that. That's like a lot of RMA coming into your ear holes. Um, I, but, but, but it was so freeing to have it coming in my ear holes all during the day. I also very much got into this naked mind per their recommendation. I'm so much happier now that I stepped away from AA and ventured into more current methods. (laughs) I'm very thankful for this podcast and what it's done for me in such a short period of time. 
I've been sober for almost two years and I'm very much looking forward to a life without substances. Thank you for the time and effort spent. It doesn't go unnoticed and is very much appreciated and encourages change and inspires hope for a better way to freedom. Yeah. Chris, that is thanks, so Alex D. We really appreciate hearing, uh, hearing from you. And especially, I appreciate that he, you know, referenced the coming in the ear holes comment, which right. I didn't think anybody would pay attention to. I said really? it once. <laughs> it was one time. I figured no one's going to hear so that. It was so gross, though, it, yeah. that it's stuck <laughs> in everyone's it's, head. It's traumatizing. Yeah. It's traumatizing imagery. Um, thank you so much, Alex. That is so awesome. And um, yeah, when I do the target audiences for Facebook, I've been lowering the age threshold because I'm thinking maybe... How low can we go? Hell, <laughs> it's like, you know, underage limbo. Um, so thank you so much. You could also uh, tell us your story um, by, uh, by submitting it at middleagesrecovery.com. You could be a guest on the show or we could more likely we'll read it. Um, but thank you guys so much. And Alex, that awesome review you wrote on Facebook, go to Apple Podcasts, yeah, five stars. Yeah, cut and paste it. That's because we really want that, uh, the search engine spider food. That helps us grow in the rankings. More people will find us. Our budget will increase and we'll, we'll be able to have all sorts of um, amazing events and uh, and merchandise yes, and all that merchandising. stuff. Right. Spaceballs oh, the flamethrower. Spaceballs... Uh, Spaceballs references is that? Uh, no. I'm middle aged, but I somehow that movie got by me. I, I, well, you're ten years older than me, right? So I'm from my generation, elderly, really, almost. I would say so. You you qualify to get a uh, vaccine. That's how I do. That's how I measure how old and infirm someone is by how soon they got. Unless there are frontliners, but uh, <laughs> not that there are any around. You know. See, I don't. I I don't have the sports store owners don't have a powerful lobby in Washington. I mean, you are a public facing person. And I've I been think. facing tons of public. In fact, one of the things just getting to what kind of crazy weeks we've both had. Yeah. Um, you know, for the past whatever six months since we started this or more. Um, I, I've been in the middle of a, you know, like a, a shutdown basically for my, my shop. And so I've had all this extra time when I should have been planning for the future. I was, um, working, working on this on podcast, podcast and it, amongst other things. And, um, now all of a sudden everybody locally is out and they're panic buying like sports stuff because the local leagues have sprung this on everyone. They're, they dragged fall sports mm. into, okay, we're going to do a truncated season at the same time as winter sports. And we're going to cram it in right before spring season. Yeah. And so that means the spring season, like clinics meet like now. So it's insanity. And luckily I have a bunch of inventory because I <laughs> stocked up for last spring and it just didn't happen. But uh, I just am not ready for it. On top of it, I'm finishing my college degree and I had a midterm. And uh, <laughs> but the good news is um, I was invited to set up like a pop-up shop at the big um, uh, baseball clinic. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there was hundreds of people there um, juggling Oh yeah. So yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. I was just pantomiming right. to so, Mike that uh Yeah, well I, I drove by and I saw you at your little table there hawking your wares and at the yeah, moment I Mike drove by, by you happened to be juggling. I was, and I was like, wow, now there's a there's a guy that knows how to how to work a crowd. Yeah. How to get somebody to buy some cup protectors and I, I mean I'm surrounded by hundreds of children and families and stuff and it was me, my wife and my kids and they were doing baseball clinic, but when they weren't, they were helping sell stuff and it was just really exciting. And I got this high. I was 
like, I was literally, I felt high. Like I should reset my days because <laughs> that I felt so good and so hopeful and happy. And it just took one conversation with my father to knock it all down. <laughs> Parents are great for that. <laughs> you know, I was in such a good mood. I'm like, dad, we might save the shop. And then he's like, well, what did you look at the numbers, you know, before the uh, pandemic? It was um, not looking so good then either, huh? And I'm like, it's not wrong, but, you know, it was well, on an upward trend. And, you know, they say you have to be in business three years in retail to establish yourself and mm -hmm. to really, and that's really what it feels like. It feels like now I'm getting a lot of respect and uh, from local people who are like, everybody else went out of business in this small town, but not Ned. Respect is good, but you also need customers. Yeah. Like, so, uh, yes, you, customers. And we've had lots, but yes, it can't last. And I, I was listening to a thing on uh, one of these financial podcasts I listened to, and they were talking about GameStop. You know, you remember we talked about that a little bit. The stock was like up through the roof because the Wall Street bets and the Reddit people decided that yep. they were going to make it into something. Uh, but GameStop just released their quarterly earnings the other day. And uh, so the guy who was leading was like, um, I guess the moral, the, the main point of the story is that not everybody that bought GameStop stock actually shopped or bought anything at GameStop. So, you know, hype is one thing, right? But, yeah. you know, you need bodies. But you've been doing good, right? You get steady traffic here. A lot of people coming in. It's buying been, I'll just cups. give you an example. For the past year, let's say, I've been maxing out at like maybe two or three customers per day. Right. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Um, on the Friday before the clinic, we had 32. Wow. Holy um, shit. 32. And when I say 32 customers, that means it's a mom and her three children. Right. And then a dad and his two children come in. They both want to try on cleats or something. Uh, and it's just me. Right. Um, I, I handled it quite well, but um, listen, if, if I could keep that up year round, which I can't because it's seasonal, um, you know, that would I, be I would retire. But yeah. um, in any case... It's like, well, I was talking to my wife about this, the seasonal depression disorder. I feel like, you know, especially my wife, she was just commenting like, cause she's been in a rut, you know, she's been feeling down. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a teacher like, like your wife and it's just been so hard on them. And the weather has in New York is, um, it's just been miserable. It's been miserable. And now everything that is converging into this like positive like upswing, like a universal manic upswing. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. And uh, the sun is out and people are happy and vaccines are coming. And, you know, it's just like this amazing feeling. Um, and it's great. And am I talking too much? Yes. Um, also, uh, you know Not what? You, I've you got never talk too much. <laughs> I um, Last thing I want to say about myself, as you know, I'm a uh, egomaniac with an inferiority <laughs> complex, right? So um, I was going to just make one more comment about my diet and exercise regimen. Yeah. So I, I was updating everybody, I guess, last week about how I just stopped eating and, uh, <laughs> and I lost 25 pounds. And Excellent. so now, and, and besides that, I've been doing like 200 push-ups a day. I haven't used the special push-up machine you got me. Okay. But, um, I'm going to, uh, but up until I didn't use it either. That's yeah, why it, I'm going that's to why you now own it. So I've been doing crazy push-ups, and I've lost all this weight and I'm looking a lot better. You're very buff, but 
I still, there's, th- you know, like now that I'm in my 40s, it, you can, it's a little saggy. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in my physique. I'm like, what the, f- I think, you know, you're when eating- does your skin come back? Oh, the skin never comes back. And, and what's with the middle-aged paunch? No matter how much uh, fat I lose, I'm still mm-hmm. going to be skinny fat guy. Yeah, well. Why know, can't, why, what do I have to do? Uh, what do I have to eat? Beats or not me. Eat? You're asking the wrong guy. I've had a middle-aged paunch since I was like 21. I can't. I just, it's very demoralizing, but I feel better. I feel like my testosterone, my natural testosterone. It's another thing. I am not resorting to steroids. Okay. Um, and I'm very proud of myself for that. But, um, my natural testosterone just from exercising is coming back. Yeah. And, uh, so overall, you know, I've I highly noticed. recommend diet and exercise. Oh, you've noticed my sex <laughs> yes, drive has returned. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, bouncing off the walls in here. Yes. Well, it's mostly caffeine. That's true. Um, so, and, uh, so spring break. Well, the other thing before we get to spring break is yep. you, you were just talking about your, your overwhelming schedule of the other day. And, uh, you know, I, I dropped this thing on you like two days before, which was this boy scout meeting, oh, which of yeah. course was the night before your, your midterm. Right. And but I was supposed to study with somebody. I, that yeah. Night. So we had to, we had to take the kids over to this, um, this boy scout meeting and, um, there was like 30 kids and they were all sitting, uh, and, and they made the, the Weeblos who were the, the younger kids that we brought to the meeting. Cause this was one of the requirements for them to move up to boy scouts is that they go and they sit in on an actual boy scout meeting. So we went to the one in our town, which is the big troop. There's like 35 kids there. And Nat and I, of course, are sitting in the back of the room, just, you know, bullshitting and not paying any attention to what goes on. And then, um, all of a sudden they started making the kids get up one by one and introduce themselves. And then you, you said, Hi, my name is uh, Nat, and I'm in uh, Weeblow. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like a, a, an AA meeting. The kids standing up and I, <laughs> yeah, admitting that there were Weeblows. Like, yeah. hi, I, you know. I'm like, and it was just like an AA meeting because the Boy Scout meetings have like, you know, there's a preamble and there's certain right. like just like a, a corporate yeah. meeting type of thing. And uh, all I could think about was this is this is just like an AA meeting, but it's Weeblows. Does anybody like to share their experience of being a Weeblow? <laughs> my experience. <laughs> Before I joined the Weeblows, I was drinking six cartons of Capri Sun a day. But I tell you, man, I go to there, I go to that meeting, and I look around, and there's all these dads who are like, they're like, um, talk about testosterone. Yes. I mean, it definitely attracts a certain kind of like former parents. paramilitary or, yeah, or want wanting to be military right. or current police officers. I know yeah. a couple are current police officers, and it's just a very weird dynamic because you and I are not like that, no. you know, but. You've got more street cred with the Cub Scouts than I do. You actually have, and I've always admired this about you before we even got to know each other. Yeah. I would see you because we'd go to Cub Scout meetings and you had the adult shirt, yeah, you know, I and the it, shirt. But I was like, it's to act, me, I'm play acting. But it's cool. I think I like that. I think I want to get one of those, but I can't bring myself to order one. I don't know why. It's just one of those <laughs> mental blocks. Um, so yes, yeah, so you have a little meeting. more cred, but you're right. We are the polar opposite of, you know, of that, those right. guys. We have, do, we do not have, I do not own a pickup truck. I, nope. you don't either. Nope. Um, you know, we don't have those, uh, the American flag stuck on the back or with the blue line, with the blue line. I don't it's, have that. You know, it's just I respect not, it. I yeah. It's not our thing. You know, uh, we, we, we have different interests. You know, our interests are doing a recovery podcast and playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to envision myself like next year going camping with these manly guys like well we've been there before we have but they were but we didn't have each other really no everybody was drinking back then but these guys don't seem like they they're very sort of by the book 
Boy Scouts. Which makes me feel men. a little better. Yes, yes. That would, these guys are more serious. The drinking stuff made me very uncomfortable, even yeah. when I was drinking. I did not like the idea it was being done around the kids. Which, I felt weird about it, yes, too. which will play into our, our recovering the news discussion later on. Yeah, um, and it was cool, and the kids did a great job, and I feel like they were actually, because my son and the, another particular child in the group, not your son, but this other one. The one that I made you pick up. The one that you made me pick up <laughs> and drop off. Yeah. Um, but they're pretty bit, you know, they don't have an easy time sitting down and shutting up. Right. And I think just seeing the seriousness of all the adults and even the kids running the meeting, mm-hmm. like shocked them into like silence. I don't know if that was trauma. They were well behaved and everybody was until like the last 10 minutes. And then even Ben got up and started running around right. just they had been shrieking. S- they had <laughs> they'd been sitting for an hour right. listening to this and, and learning how to pitch yeah. a tent. Um, They're 10. You know. you know, it was cool. But... I don't know. Things have been going so well. You know, we were talking about this and we're feeling good and things are going well with the podcast and it's so exciting. And, um, and you and I were talking and then sort of like, I was thinking, yeah, this is great. So long as I don't sabotage it. (laughs) Right. Like this is usually the time in my, in my sober count where things are going too well. And my addict brain says to myself, um, it's going too well. Right. It's time to destroy your life again and start over. Repeat the cycle. <laughs> and and that's my history if you look back on it. So uh, I think that's relatively common among people in our situation, no? Like it's, I think a lot of it's grounded in fear of success. But why why don't and I've had this conversation with psychiatrists and therapists and uh, blah, 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 blah. Right. And it it's coming down to like why don't you feel like you deserve the life you have? Um, and I don't know if it's, and I've been struggling with that. And is it important to know why? Sort of like, you know, if your house is on fire, you don't ask why you just run out of the burning house. You run out of the burning house, but on your way out, you also think about grabbing the family jewels and whatnot. The family (laughs) jewels. So to to speak. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, but so, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, fear of success, fear, uh, it's all tied up in self-esteem. What was that thing you just said before that AA thing? The egomaniac with an inferiority yes. complex. See? I mean, there's a lot of that going in on there. But yeah. just, you know, just don't fuck it up. Right? Don't fuck it I mean, up. I don't good. want to. Yeah. And um, we were talking, you know, this is actually goes perfect with accountability and amanimity. Oh, yeah. Amanimity. Have you ever been to an AA meeting and they have to read the preamble? And yeah, people have word, trouble with that Nobody can say, they're like, blah, 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 blah. Amanimity. Yep. yep. Um, and so we were sort of talking about that. Like there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit, there's a lot of accountability now Mm. that you and I, like if we are both at a Cub Scout thing right? and uh, there is a drink going around and you know, and I know that we don't drink. Right. And, uh, and that's that's huge. Very important. And so that's one of the benefits to not being anonymous in some ways. Like my neighbors know who I hang out with that I don't drink. They don't know the details and they don't Mm -hmm. need to, but they're aware that it is just not a line I don't cross for whatever reason. And because of that, if they saw me drinking in a bar in town or something, they would, and it goes back to when I went to pick up the beer for my neighbor. Right. Like I know there's accountability and cause everybody knows me and I'm known mostly now because you know, I, I don't partake and, uh, and that creates accountability. Now were I anonymous, you know, I would be like undercover alcoholic and I could, you know. Well, I don't think anonymous means, um, what you think that means? nobody knows, you know, I think anonymous, you can be anonymous on the level of film, uh, media, right? What it's is it? What media. Is the thing? 
Yeah. Well, and you're anonymous. I am, and Be- I am as well. You are sort of until you told your friend who is my son's dad, <laughs> and then it's your son's. He's your son's dad. No, I'm his son. I'm <laughs> I'm my son's dad, that. and he's my son's friend's dad. Right. Well, okay, and I you know I felt bad about that, but uh, this is a long story. But anyway, can we say that for story time. Uh, no, we can talk about it. I mean, you know, because I mentioned this guy a couple times uh, in the last few weeks, and now I feel like I shouldn't have because. Uh, he's apparently informed well, me remember. that he's listening to the pot. What? That, exactly. What yeah, he's listening to the podcast, and um, which is great. Which is great. Thank you for I listening. Mean, he's, you know, he and he drinks, and you know, that's his. You know, he just sent me this thing that said, you know, I, I, it's probably a good thing to know people who are in recovery and yeah. don't drink. And I thought, sure, why not? You know, I mean, my yeah. wife probably drinks a little less because she's, you know, to the problem. I don't drink. Which is yeah. speaking of di- just a quick diversion. Yeah, my wife is on a diet. And it's, a, and it's a diet where it involves eating lots of raw vegetables and no oil or anything that tastes good. Right. So, um, so I've been kind of, since I do the cooking around the house, I've been sort of forced to, I don't know, cater to cater, the I don't know, uh, cater's the not the right word, just adjust things. So cater that, is the perfect I've lost, word I've lost like preparing food. I've lost like four pounds. Really? <laughs> I haven't done anything. Changing your diet. It's great. I, I'm, I guess I'm changing my diet, but I'm not really thinking about well, it. Well, that's the is, best way to lose weight, by is. not thinking about it. There you go. You, know? you just try and be happy. Anyway, but that, that was quick diversion. But back to the anonymity and my friend who listens to the podcast. Yes, I did mention that you were my podcast partner and that you ran the sporting goods store in town. And that my name is Nat. Uh, and that your, your name is Nat. But I never thought he would listen to the podcast. The guy's got a, he's got a kegerator in his living room. I'm like, who's, he's not going to listen to a recovery podcast, but I guess you never know, you know? Yeah. But I, you know, he, he, I spoke to him, I said, you know, anonymity and you know, he's really, it, it's, he, you know, he, prom- it, he swears it's your secret safe with him. And his, his son is also on your baseball team. So you, you'll see great. him at the games. Uh, I almost don't want you to point him out. So I don't think about this. <laughs> well, his, his, uh, I'm not going to say his yeah, please. in the air. But, um, um, but no, we're happy to have all listeners. And one of the, the problems, now let me say what the problem is. When you go to AA or you go to uh, group meetings outpatient, mm-hmm. there is a standard that they make very clear that what you see here, what we say here, please let it stay here. And right. everyone says here, here. Um, and that's understood. When you're outside of the safety of those kinds of mutual agreement, society type things, now you're dealing with... You know, I mean, nobody like perfectly adheres to that stuff. They always tell their wife, whatever. But, you know, there's nothing like that protecting us when we're telling other people who aren't involved in these things and don't maybe necessarily understand the concept of mutual anonymity. Um, and there, therein lies the problem. It's a little bit of anxiety, but honestly, I'm comfortable with who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm not ashamed really of, of my past. I feel like it's a strength and, and it's something that I can, you know, help other people to know, like maybe if they think, Hey, Nat's got it together, you know, he would never have right. this kind of problem and they're struggling with it. It would be great for them to know, you know what? I did struggle with mm-hmm. that and probably worse. And it, it doesn't have to define you and you can, and you can recover from it. Yeah. You can be recovered. Uh, ED. Exactly. Recovered. Uh, I, I don't particularly care if people in town know, uh, that I don't drink anymore. Um, I, what I, the only reason, the why? Only, why don't you drink? The only reason I maintain my anonymity in this podcast is work. And mm. I think if I'm going to sit here and I'm actually going to put, I mean, this is a little more sharing <laughs> than most people do, yeah. right? Putting something out into media land and actively encouraging thousands of people to listen to it. 
right? Literally thousands. So yeah. do I want my boss hearing all my crack stories from the 80s and then deciding whether he wants me as the public face of, of, of his company? Yeah, probably not. So I think you could choose the level of anonymity. Now, now, I, now I like this uh, Paul Churchill from uh, Recovery Elevator wrote a book called Alcohol is Shit, and I think we're planning on reviewing that at some point. Love that book. It's a great book. but he, He's hard to listen to sometimes. Yeah, it's, he reads the book himself, and he's, which, he's a little like... I know. Uh, you know, He's a little woo-woo sometimes. Kind of a space cadet, but yeah. um, very smart, very insightful, just like the Annie Grace book, um, and whose show you're actually going to finally yeah, back, appear on. back on there on the 22nd. So that's exciting May. for us. Annie I don't Grace know when it's going to be released, but... Holding on to Paul Church, yeah. Churchill for a minute, um, in his book, he is very big on not being anonymous. Um, his yes. concept, That's he calls we it, talking right, he calls it burning the ships. And basically what that means is, I guess, when one of the uh, conquistadors uh, drove up to the New World in order to sort of encourage the men uh, that, you know, there is no, you're not going to be able to go home. There's no safe place for so you. you he, better told them, win. he told them to burn the ships right. and then that was it. They had no way to go back. So they had to just stay and, and do yeah, the Omar job. Omar from my share podcast says that a lot. Burn the ships. Burn the ships. Um, Does he come out of recovery elevator? Maybe. No, he no. didn't. They, they were power, They were at the same time. Hmm. He's done anyway. He stopped doing his podcast. He? he got into uh, some other consulting. Well, so, you know, I think I'm okay. I, you know, in general, uh, if, if people knowing that I don't drink or use drugs is an entree for them to find a way of not doing it for themselves, I am happy to share my experience, strength and hope with them, so to speak. Very AA But, you. um, I do not need my boss knowing my business. Right. And so <laughs> therein lies the nuanced recovery program. Yeah. Uh, spring break. We're going to get to that. Spring break. Well, yeah, because did we talk about Mexico? No. So, hey, everybody, spring break is here. Yay. Isn't there like a ah, people cheering? Um, which, <laughs> yeah. How did you do that? I just Bluetooth it through the That's so fancy. YouTube. Oh, wow. Know. We're getting fancy over yeah. here. Um, you know, the kids are off. If your parents, um, you, you know, you, you go by your child's uh, schedule and uh, yeah, my kids do. are off. Your kids are off. Starting your wife after is school off. today. Yes. So um, there's a big spring break. A lot of people, even though we're in a pandemic, are crazy enough to get on a plane and yeah. go to a very dangerous country <laughs> run by MS-13 and corrupt and a corrupt government with a uh, growth industry known as kidnapping. Oh, don't be a slave to the media. So... Is that what you're doing? Are you going away for spring break? Listen, we, I struggled with this for a long time about whether or not we should go anywhere. And I thought about Florida and um, just decided not, that wasn't really the place to go. And, and it, apparently that was a good decision considering the Florida Miami police are tear gassing uh, vacationers <laughs> and making them stay in their hotel rooms. Oh, um, but we had this trip planned for last year. Uh, and then of course we had to cancel because everything went south. Um, so almost on a whim, my wife and I decided to rebook and go, she got the vaccine. So she was, um, you know, she's good to go. My kids are really not, um, 
you know, there's not a lot of transmission on planes. My kids are not really in danger. I am the only one that could conceivably die. And I've decided that the risk is worth it because it I need to go scuba diving at yeah. some point. Sounds so, like my wife. She should like do anything to take a vacation. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I'm with her on it at this the, point. The interesting thing for me though, is that this is one of these all inclusive resorts in Mexico, very safe, very, you know, COVID, uh, you know, I want to say COVID friendly, friendly you, know to I mean? you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, uh, it occurred to me recently that I've never gone on this type of vacation while not drinking before. Oh, this will be a test. Because, you know, the first year of sobriety is like year first, right? The first Christmas not drinking, the first 4th of July, the first birthday, the first work thing, whatever. So I got through all those, but I never went through the first, you know, big vacation because mm. we just never had it. Now I'm at like a year and seven months and here it is. So, so I mean, what- I'm not really concerned that I'm going to drink although you know what's your plan though my plan is to um well number one my plan is to do the podcast next week from the resort so yes. there's some accountability yeah i, I realize the audio is not going to be good because i was testing a few things yesterday and none of them really worked there's that well. definitely a way to do it there is i'm just not bringing this microphone right to mexico so it, the mic is going to be either a lavalier uh, that put, i have put or, it in aaron's purse or something you can say it's a back massager <laughs> That's a good one. Wait. No. Shit. Yeah. Yes. I haven't had to use that one. I in a know. Because nothing's been funny. We yeah, haven't said I anything. I guess everything's funny. been very dark and serious. It's true. Everybody's Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. My my plan is to is to not drink. And and but you, you need know, a more specific plan, man. Well, okay. Like, okay, let me give you a scenario. I I'm planning on drinking a lot of virgin daiquiris. Well, okay, scenario number 1. Right. You're hanging out by the pool or the beach and Cabana Boys bringing Aaron like a juicy looking strawberry daiquiri with a shot of rum floating on top mm. and he just for some reason he he got you one too. You didn't even ask for it. Hands it to you. What do you do? Uh, I just make Aaron drink too. So you take it off, <laughs> pretend like it's yours, and then hand it to Aaron. I mean, or just send it back. I okay. mean, it's all inclusive. So and what will you free. say? These are the things no, you have thank to think you. About. Just no Can thanks. I have a Coke instead? Can I get a virgin pina colada? Can, can I make a recommendation? Yeah. On the first time they offer you an alcoholic drink, um, you say that time, no, please, I don't drink and then can you oh, bring me okay. this? And sure. this way, now he knows right. and doesn't go on. I do that at weddings. Yeah. The first time they come and fill your thing. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good you. idea. I don't drink. I'm or do that. Here's one more that I got. Um, when you're at the dinner or at one of these events, if they ever come back, they have the wine glasses at the table. What you do is you flip it over. Right. That's the universal right. sign of um, I'm a degenerate alcoholic and I may right. tear well, my I, pants off and vomit on the bride. When I worked as a waiter, I remember seeing that a lot. Yeah. Um, and are you going to call me? Of course. Not just for the show. I'll probably text you if every you need day to. anyway. Yeah. The, the, it, it's got me thinking a little bit, and I really like that suggestion that you just gave because it, it means I only have to make one decision. Yes. I don't have to every time be confronted with the fact that this guy's bringing me a daiquiri. Assuming he understands you, but right. say it in Spanish. <laughs> um, and, and I was thinking about that this morning. Like, you text me at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night when I'm usually Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I tend to text you at 5 o'clock in yes, the morning when, when I'm, I'm out <laughs> running. And I hope... I. After the I don't fourth, wake you up, or after do the, I? No. Okay, did, did I wake you up? After like the fourth text, I was like, I hope he's got his phone on silent or something because otherwise his <laughs> wife is going to be really pissed at me. Um, so I texted you this thing this morning that was, um, what did I say? Um, 
decision fatigue, uh, you know, every time you have to make the decision to not drink, it's, it's takes mental energy. Is it on here? Did yeah. I miss it? Uh, spring break, Mike stress oh, yeah. dealing decision with the fatigue. Mes- Mexico fiasco, right? One day at a time versus long-term decision fatigue and <laughs> maybe means yes. I really like to find that. Ex- here it is. Um, Okay, maybe means yes, and decision fatigue leads to maybe. I heard that on a podcast this morning uh, about people talking about, and, and that got me to thinking about this whole one day at a time business, like where you have to physically decide or mentally decide every day or every minute show. or every hour. Yeah, this is it. Um, sorry, that was the opening line from the theme song. I don't know if anybody got that, but... Um, but wouldn't it be simpler to just make a long-term decision that you're not going to drink rather than have to every day confront the decision? Well, it's a two-parter. You do that, of course. You say, listen, I don't... Well, they always tell you that. Like, when you first come into recovery, people, you'll say, I can't imagine never drinking again. I can't imagine not drinking watching football. And these are the things right. I said, too. And um, And they always tell you, you don't have to not drink for the rest of your life today. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's, you take that one day at a time with the overall like desire, you know, like that. I, I don't want to be a drinker. You have to just like, it's not something that I think of as a reward. And, um, right. Well, that's, the and then in the moment, right. Right. Well, you change your mind eventually, I guess, about, about the, the pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, which I have. And it's amazing. That's What's a cognitive you? thing, but, right. but I, I think it's dangerous. And it, it, to me, it seems dangerous in the early days to to have that maybe hanging out there. Like instead of saying I can't drink, it's not, it doesn't work with my brain or my biochemistry. So I'm putting it down. Like, like, you know, I'm allergic to eggs. I'm not going to eat eggs anymore. It's like, you don't have to decide, like, I'm not going to eat an egg today. Maybe I'll eat one tomorrow. You know? Yeah. It's one of those things, you know, you, you have to, it's like a mental trick. You have to, exactly. And I think you hear this a lot in recovery. If I have one drink, I know I will die. And they don't mean they sip and die. They mean that it'll set them on a collision course with doom. Right. If they start drinking, they okay. can't stop. Sure. Got- you know, so that's that mindset, you know, where that's where it's a good thing to have this like shocked into like, you can't drink no matter what, like be in the no matter what club. Don't drink mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, right. And then when you get your head clear, then you can start thinking a little more. Because your mind is back to getting normalized, you know? Right. And uh, and it's not. When you're first trying to get sober, your brain ain't right. You ain't thinking right. That's true. You know, your best, they always say, well, your best thinking got you in here, right? I always say that. So shut up, put the cotton in your, take it out of your ears and put it in your mouth. Or something like that. That's what they say. Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. I mean, we could have that debate, but uh, it's for another time and place. Um, Where are we with? I think our guest is just about ready. Ready. Okay. Um, Our guest is about ready. Dude, so this cue is it great. Up. So what I have to do now is make that phone call. Okay. Before I call her, let's just sort of set the stage about what we're going to be talking about. Because the people may not have listened last week, or they may not remember what we talked about last week, which was the new movie Body Brokers. Right. Which, which Following was, up last me- week's movie review of Body Brokers. Yes. Erin joins us to discuss her thoughts and research oh. on the practice of body brokering, junkie hunting, and all. The all of the overall plague of the predatory rehabilitation industry. Uh, junkie hunting sounds like a they video game from the eighties. It would be like, cool. <laughs> like called paper, Narc. like Paperboy or something. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so should I call now? And now 
Recovery in the Middle Ages is proud to present Get Smart with Aaron Moore. Is that loud? Hello. Hello, Aaron. This Hi. is... Who is it? Uh, this is Not Mike. Recovery in the Middle Ages calling. Get smart with Aaron Moore. What's up, Aaron? What's up? Not much. It's been a, a crazy couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm super excited to be back, y'all. And we're super excited to have you back. Um, I hope it sounds like you got a lot on your plate lately. Yes, what's going well, on? Well, it's good. Yeah, not any more than anyone else, but going from having very little, right, through, through quarantine to um, kind of back to full swing or close to it, right, is uh, it's a big change. So forgot what it was like to have to wear shoes all day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. Pants for that matter. Yeah, you got to put a pants bra, on. A bra. I mean, I, I know I'm talking to guys, but I, I think you can at least understand because you have wives. Yeah, I have. Ne- I never wore a bra to work, so I yeah. can't relate to you that. You should. You should consider it. <laughs> I'm going to need it's one. It's supportive. If you need some extra support, that's where you're going to find it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Nat's new diet, he, yeah. he doesn't need any support. Yeah, he's, I, he's rocking an I egg a cup. a sandwich. And, yeah. <laughs> You got a CrossFit and you'll be set. That's it. Hey, um, well, we're very excited to have you on. And let me just say that Erin has put together this amazing, like she's going along with this outline idea. And I, I think she, because she's got the same kind of brain that we have, which is maybe everything is kind of scattered. And um, so we have to put it down on an outline. Otherwise, for for me anyway. You're projecting I, that? Yes, I'm projecting. I'm sorry. I'm just going to stop. Um but, you know, we, we watched that uh, Body Brokers movie and um, and then we thought, man, this is a great opportunity for Aaron to just kind of like dig into what's going on with this, uh, with the rehab industry and, and what and whatnot. Um, so did, what did you find out? Well, what I found out, some of it was firsthand. Oh, wow. Um, mm. And some of it is, you know, really well documented, uh, especially in the last several years. But my, you know, my experience with body or benefits or, or patient brokering, um, you know, started when I, when I was in treatment back in uh, the early nineties. And, um, it's with a facility that still, you know, practices that way. And, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the first indications of it was like in 1970, I found an article, uh, about uh, the program I was in, which, um, I can refrain to name if you like. It's, yeah, it's, up right. to you, you, but it's up to you. You can name it or not. I mean, it's, well, it's well known. It's, we're naming and, you know, names. We're going to name so names. So it's part of their practice. Phoenix House is one of the biggest okay. um, treatment organizations in the country and one of the longest standing, but they um, are, you know, they were uh, basically a branch off of, of the, the Church of Synanon or, or the, right. what became known as the Cult of Synanon anyway. Um, they were, uh, you know, they, they, uh, kind of buried the lead a little bit and, and started their own program, um, which doesn't have a lot of well-known connection. You know, they, it's not well-known their connection to Synanon hmm. or not to this point. Um, but it's starting to be partially because of all the, uh, in, interest in the troubled teen industry. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah. So with them, uh, one of their, one of the practices that, uh, was, was covered in New York times that they were, um, trying to investigate. And this one, this article actually is, is the first one was from 1970. This particular one was from 1973. 
And it stated, uh, part of it said, uh, Sanford Garelick, president of the city council, charged yesterday that Phoenix Health, a program to fight drug addiction, had been recruiting addicts from outside the state for treatment here and had been putting them on welfare. Mm, right. I um, saw a documentary on that. That was... Yeah, and that's kind of known as, uh, it's kind of known general, like in a broad sense as, as body or patient brokering, but specifically it's starting to be referred to as benefits brokering because these programs, you know, one of the best things uh, is when they can find someone who's uh, privately insured. Right. Um, but but if they're not, they get them on, yeah, a jackpot. Yeah. And I, I've, I've worked in the mental health industry. I, I, you know, I, I remember when you get a patient every once in a while that had insurance and it was like, you could really send them anywhere they wanted to go um, because they could be billed, you know, at a higher rate than, than someone who was privately uh, or publicly you know, funded. And, and most of Phoenix House uh, specifically, there are at least 95 percent uh, state, uh, county and, and federally funded. Wow. Um, and that's, that's yeah. And so usually they still, uh, you know, back then they were still those of us with insurance um, charging the state for our care. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it. back in the 70s, there was much more robust social safety net. Um, really? Oh, yeah. There was, more, there was more cash assistance back then. So uh, I, I yeah. would imagine the focus of, of Synanon and Phoenix House back then was getting people on public assistance and then just sort of sucking up the public assistance money that came in. Right, and, like yeah. taking 10 you know, foster and, kids and, just but, to get the check. But now, like with, with, um, with the Affordable Care Act, there's more private money out there. And you can sort of feed at that trough now. And I guess they had the expertise go, having fed at the public trough right. in the 70s. I don't know. That's just seems like that's what. No, that's happened. true. That's true. And and that's where, you know, the questions really came in. in why, why, would, why was the emphasis so heavily on recruiting people from out of state um, or, you know, really trying to arrange it, uh, you know, putting on food stamps, uh, welfare, all of that goes to facility. But. The clients are also expected to work for their for their bed, right? If you right. think about it that way, so that's where all the work, uh, the labor law violations are coming in. Because one, the, the client is almost never seeing that money, right? Uh, even right. if they're working for a giant company that's not related to the system. And so the you know the the treatment center, especially if they're a therapeutic community and work, you know, labor is part of their treatment. Right, like prison, um, they do that. It's like yes, prison labor. Yes. Yep, and Phoenix has one of their biggest contracts is with corrections. Um, wow. it's, a, it's a probation and parole alternative a lot of times, and for us, it was for adolescents too. So they, they, still they can hang that over, they can hang that prison sentence over your head if you don't want to yep, go work they, sixty yep. hours a week. You know, uh, power washing, whatever. <laughs> they could say they'll just report you to the court and back you go. Right. So it's it really is well, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. It was even in our rules, uh, like our handbook, which I which I still have. But yes, if you're if you're there as a sentencing alternative or a probation or parole alternative, then you know that it'll be similar to drug court, where if you do well, it's great, right? But if you don't, your sentence is probably going to become longer if you if you're kicked out of that program because then you violated um, mm-hmm. your parole or probation, even if the rule was you know even if it was that you didn't like the abuse, and that's where. A lot, uh, them specifically, but a lot of these programs have been sued uh, by by uh, inmates over the decades. Many, 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 like dozens of lawsuits, just civil rights lawsuits to be able to go back to prison. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I dealt with that on a different level when I was on probation for my DWI, where um, basically it was tied up. My, my sentence was tied up with having to be in these in, in New York. It's called OASIS is the acronym for the government um, uh, agency that approves these things. And uh, in order for me to like complete my probation and get my freedom back, it was required that I complete uh, one of these outpatient programs. And um, and I was really like struggling with it. I was completely unable to. And any time I had one screw up, it meant I was going to jail. And eventually I did. Now, that's my fault, I guess, because I was incapable of getting sober at the time. But it was, I really felt like, you know, I, I got arrested for drunk driving. But then I was punished for being an addict because the terms of the probation were such. And in the meantime, I kept having to go back to these rehabs and go back to these uh, outpatients until I, you know, satisfied all of their like impossible uh, standards. And, um, and, and it meant uh, jail just like that. So who's making money right. on that? Everybody but me. <laughs> well, yeah, and and the you know uh, one of the things that has been alleged over the years is that um, that the judicial system is somehow part of the brokering of this, right? Like they're you know I mean you know when you put someone if you've sat in a courtroom all day and watched people um, being arraigned or or sentenced or various things, um, usually. Uh, you know, it'll be a lot of drug violations and, um, the judge, it's at their discretion. Are they putting, you know, are they sentencing you? Are they going to, you know, sentence you to treatment? Um, and if they do, who, you know, where, why are they always taking that one plate? Um, some of these facilities like Phoenix house were always actually, you know, they had, they had a big deal back in the seventies to separate them from the government. Because they were using like government resources even to run their program, it came out like they were using you know city council offices, and it was it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and and that still kind of goes on. They just you know like I said, you know they uh, they know how to bury the lead. So um, you know another red flag in a lot of them is um, like in in the case of adolescents, particularly generally um, in those programs, a lot of the kids are already wards of the state. Um, because they, you know, then the foster system or they, uh, about half of the residents at Phoenix house when I was there were, um, there instead of juvenile prison, not just juvenile hall, but at that point, you know, a lot of them were uh, gang activity and such, and that was their alternative. But, um, those of us who were not wards of the state, like myself, my mother signed me in, um, they did have my mom unbeknownst to her sign her parental rights over guardianship at that time. Wow. Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. She probably didn't know what she was signing either. She had no idea. I I don't know that she would have minded at that point, but she didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was a 16 16 year old derelict pretty much, but I'll say this, um, when when she realized how bad it was there, she tried to take me out and they threatened that she, they would have, she would have to go to court to do so to get, to regain guardianship and, and remove me from the program. And of course, in a lot of cases, it's just so insurmountable, um, the resources for how to even navigate that. This is pre-internet, you know, pre like how she even found it was through a tough love program that she was going to, to figure out how to help me. So she had no idea what she signed. And then, you know, once uh, I, I completed the inpatient portion, which was 18 months, and you have another year of what they call a live-out phase, where you come up to group. It's similar to the IOP or the 
some of the pain management places where they, they'll give you the medication or they'll give you the treatment, but if you come to, you know, a certain amount of groups a week still, they can bill as, you know, you oh, being under yeah. their care. Yeah, I was in those. The so, in- intensive outpatient yeah. is the IOP. And just for a frame yeah. of reference, the when I was in it, and I think this is standard, it was nine hours a week, which meant, and a little bit more, which was uh, three three-hour group addiction counseling meetings and then you had to meet their psychiatrist who then would prescribe Vivitrol or what naltrexone or whatever and then you had to meet with an individual and your entire life is basically taken over and it's the only way I could have afforded my psych meds because it was all done through the program mm. and then they correct they urine test you at least twice a week randomly now and- I was the girl who did that I worked at the IOP program here for about a year and a half and I was the girl had to watch you pee and process your urine. Oh, jeez. So, and it, it's crazy how much, how much yeah. money is made off of those urine tests. That's one thing that that movie just blew my mind. It was like several yep. thousand dollars. Is a that test. true, though? I mean, for that absolutely. guy, really? Wow. Liquid gold, they call it. Right? Yeah, they yeah, bill out absolutely. the. Uh, they bill the insurance company two grand every time you get a piss test. That's um, uh, oh, absolutely, wow. and they they build it. Well, most cases, like if you are at the IOP program, they're building the state or the county or whoever they have their contract with their their funding partners. Um, so yeah, absolutely, and then they build those at the highest rate. I mean, they they are not cheap, and they can. I mean, they can't they can't dispute the charge because it's worth what it costs. So um, that's why a lot of times in pain management or various settings like that, or in treatment settings, they uh, excessively drug screen and. It's not even really recommended by the medical, you know, the the medical board or anything that they test every time you come there. Um, that's implemented by the practice, but usually because they can, you know, get quite a bit of money from doing it. Um, it's actually recommended that they don't uh, when it comes to con- kind of compassionate care, but yeah, the the junkie, the whole junkie hunting thing is so interesting to me. And uh, yeah. when, I, when I first heard about it, it was because I was watching um, Dope, Dope Sick Nation and uh, American yeah. Relapse with Frankie and Ali Severino, um, Frankie Bones, or I forget what they call him. And uh, that was an eye opener. And they didn't even really expose it as much as that Body Brokers movie. And I didn't realize that, you know, I, I had just joked before that everyone made money but me. But actually, like you what, should have been making money. Well, yeah, that there were <laughs> all of these paid you. that they were cutting the junkies in on it. Yeah, and um, and it's sort of like corrupting a child in that they just they're in a state of mind where you know they don't have the capacity to vulnerable. realize yeah. it's a vulnerable state. And so, I mean, where it could sound like, oh, great, I get paid to do this, and uh, but no, it's disgusting. And um, I mean, yeah. didn't it get? Uh, is there a law now? Do you think this is still going on? They've started, um, you know, they did start shutting places down that they could prove this was happening. Um, some of the ones that have been involved in some of the more deadly cases, like, you know, I, I talk about, you know, the way that a particular facility did it because it's my experience. But what's most common, I think you guys saw this in, in all of what you read and watched, was the practice of uh, having brokers, people, other people, in, you know, like you and I, someone in recovery that they can exploit to recruit people to whatever treatment center they affiliate with. Some of them affiliate with a lot of them, you know, like they'll, they have deals with a lot of them, but some of them are tied, especially celebrities. Sometimes they're tied to certain, certain facilities. Yeah. Um, like Brendan Novak recruit. 
What's the yeah, difference well, between I, what he's doing and that? You know how he's like, you know, he's a big famous guy who's yeah. now out about recovery. And I like Brandon Novak a lot. I'm not like trying to give him crap yeah. about it, but how is like... What's he doing? Shilling for a center well, or something? He, yeah. I mean, and he's very open about it. And yeah. I, I think... I mean, what do you think about that, Aaron? Is, is that like a slippery slope? Like, should a guy like Brandon Novak be, you know, recruiting people? Or can this, you know, for pay? I mean, does it matter well, that he I'll, only gets a flat fee? Or, you know, at what point is it Well, he not gets a good? fee. I mean, I'll right. say this. I'm not going to say what anyone else should or shouldn't do. I, you know, I don't know what, you know, what their agreements are or anything like that. It looks the same. I'm not saying it is, uh, nice. but it looks similar. It's, it's in that, it has that feel, uh, and not just him. I mean, I'm just talking about, you know. Yeah, this is not against him. I, I like him a yeah, lot, actually. Yeah, just, I, me too, me too. But I, I know that this practice is in play at, to some degree with the way, you know, that he's, you know, sort of been um, implemented by, by the, the programs. Um, and, you know, I mean, from a business standpoint, from you know, it makes sense. Uh, that people are going to take his word for it, right? And but, he, could, um, he could be helping a lot of people. That's probably... And you he know, probably there's, is. There's probably yeah. a lot of good going on there. And so why shouldn't he get uh, paid? But I guess it's the predatory right. nature of of the predatory of stuff. That he's not like, doing I don't that. see him in that same... Right. Personally, I don't see him in that same category no, of just being predatory. But I know I've come across lots of them being in, you know, the recovery advocacy arena. And usually it looks like now, some of the more deadly cases have been where, um, you know, it's too good to be true, right? Anything that sounds too good to be true, right, a lot of times is. it is, yeah. you know? So they're saying, well, we'll pay for your airfare. We'll pay for this. We'll pay for that. It's going to be this amazing resort. The thing is, you have to test positive when you get here. So say you've been in a group home or a halfway house or an IOP program and you've been sober a while. Right. But you realize that, you know, but you couldn't get into treatment, right? So... <laughs> You, you need to what you need to piss is, dirty though, or else they're not going to take you. You don't get the plane ride of the and the and the Malibu cliffs yeah, unless seems, you piss dirty. Seems counterintuitive. Exactly yeah. the equestrian uh, whatever surfing, and <laughs> right. then surfing. you just you sometimes won't make it there, um, right? Because you know it can precipitate a relapse, a full on relapse that you're not going to go to treatment, or you don't survive that. Right. attempt to test positive when you get there because mm -hmm. sometimes it's you know this one you know these days with fentanyl and all this things that are adulterating you know the supply um above and beyond just being dangerous in and of itself the you know it just it, yeah relapse for cash i just read relapse for cash by yeah amy and that was the article mm -hmm, that was the article in the uh, i believe it was the fix that amy did mm -hmm. Um, basically they, you know, they get money for everyone they recruit and then, and sometimes it's tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, yeah. this is, we're not talking a little bit of money, which tells you how much the treatment program is getting from that patient that yeah. they're going to give a, someone who recruited them $10,000 or well, 15 they, or five. They were saying something like, um, when they, when they ran the numbers in the movie that, you know, a 90 day stay was worth about a million bucks. And then up from there. Um, if you, if you put in all the, right. uh, the different, I mean, it seems like the whole in thing is incentivized wrong from top to bottom and, you know, right. Right, but is that capitalism? I mean, if well, we're like, I'm not really against capitalism. I don't think any of us, well, some of us are, and that's okay, but you know, that's, well, given it's the so clientele, it's awfully exploited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're and, dealing and, with, you know, people given that, the vulnerability. No, that's true. I mean, for, for example, do you, do you recall the kids for cash scandal? In uh, Pennsylvania, there was a couple of judges um, on Luzerne uh, County Court of Common Pleas 
who they ended up getting convicted because they were accepting money in return for imposing harsher juvenile sentences to increase occupancy at the for-profit detention centers. So I guess if you're a judge and you try and broker and abuse your position, you go to jail and you lose your your judgeship. But if you're outside a private citizen, it's perfectly acceptable behavior. Yeah, well, we hold judges. Well, yeah, because it's just business. I mean, we do do hold them to a higher standard, but, you know, it's just the whole thing is very sleazy and incredibly exploitative. So, Mike... Right, and that's the problem is that a lot of things that are unethical aren't illegal, if you, you know... Right. I think you guys well know. That's so, right. So what's it, the solution? A lot of times people just want to do what's legal and required and nothing more. But in this field, it's, you know, we're dealing with people and humans and a lot of dual diagnosis or, you know, just a lot of variables that make it where consent is not really always, you know, when I worked in the treatment industry, um, one of the things I was pretty adamant about was if someone came in incredibly intoxicated you know, I, I only wanted them to sign whatever it took, you know, because I was in charge of intake. I really wasn't comfortable getting them to sign documents while right. they were intoxicated or that were legally binding. Things like releases of information and, you know. Um, they don't have a power of that, attorney necessarily. Someone yeah, who's, in, yeah. in their, you know, taking care of them. And we would go around, you know, we would come back to it when they had sobered up maybe later in that, you know, in the, after a few hours. But even that, we felt you know, like it could be, you know, not legally binding at the very least. Yeah. I mean, the lawyer in me is thinking of all kinds of ways to, uh, <laughs> to attack this and, yeah. and really through the, the tort system, I would think a, it would be a, a pretty compelling class action case. Let's make one, you know, to Let's do an to RMA people, class action you know, lawsuit. Um, Listen, I've been looking for, I've been looking for a, an attorney, uh, basically based on, on this, uh, personally, Hmm. Um, because there are a lot of lawsuits uh, coming down for a lot of these programs right now, and it's um, it's starting to become very clear. Especially, you know, they're starting really with the with the teen, you know, troubled teen industry. But it's all the same, you know. It's all from the same rotten tree, really. Yeah. Um, and so it's getting more attention, and it's uh, you know, as a matter of fact, Phoenix House um, in 2019, the 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 controller of the state of New York said, you know, we're, we're recommending prosecution again, happens every few years because they're missing millions of dollars of, of, of taxpayer tax money from, and we don't know where it is. Yeah. And they gave it to corporate. Some of it they could see, they, they let CEO, like they paid people severance or uh, out of that, um, which was never, you know, not part of the deal with, with the government um, or bought cars for, for, uh, you know, corporate members and, and such. Mm. Um, they had employees that, uh, one of the reports said that, uh, that the state believes that the employees had purchased things like tobacco and, and, um, alcohol with, with funds that had, you know, been meant for clients. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, um, there's all, there's always, uh, there's always people screwing up, you know, what could be helping and it just drives me nuts. But my question is. Uh, what what is the solution to all of this? Is there a solution, and is it just something we're going to have to slowly cope with and try and change laws? And or I mean, are we stuck with this kind of thing just because people are think, shitty? I think where we are, yeah, I think where we are right now, we are. But I think with people being more willing to speak out, you know, that people aren't afraid to as afraid to blow the whistle, um, people from inside, uh, that are willing to talk. You've got more ex staff members and such. Like I, I know a staff member from Phoenix house that has been willing to, you know, that from when I was there, that verifies everything, you know, as far as 
when I say, is this how it was? Because sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you think like, am I just like, you know, do I just have this all wrong? Mm -hmm. Right. And then to bring it to them and have them cry and say like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And part of it is the shame. Uh, that they did not know. The, the shame, yeah. the, uh, part, part of this problem, I just had a, had a brilliant, brilliant thought. And because um, yeah. we were talking about the whole uh, accountability of not necessarily being anonymous to, you know, every part of your life. It's, it's because of this shame that compounds these horrible things happening because you have a clientele who doesn't want anyone to know they're going through this. So they're less likely to make a, uh, make noise about it because right. they're well, already sure, so shamed. Them, I'll, you know, my name's out know. there at this point in my life, I don't care, but there were lots of points in my life that that would have mattered to me more than making it right. And for me, when I really, you know, it wasn't all, it was really only in the last maybe five to 10 years that I've been able to see the situation for what it is partially because of my role in it. Um, even if it's that I didn't say anything. And so I had all this guilt that these other generations, generations of people have been right. there since me, Yeah, you know, and of course I know it wasn't my responsibility, but you know, those of us who tend to carry more shame about things that aren't really ours to even, you know, <laughs> to right. take on that's that's formidable. That's, you know, that, that, that keeps us quiet about a lot of things for a long time. And, you know, I know it's not my job to save anyone else, but I, you know, the facility I was in uh, was closed down in 2015. I mean, it was open until 2015 when they had a bunch of police, you know, a bunch of uh, various incidents that finally got the attention um, that they couldn't, uh, that the police were involved in. So then they had reports. and, And when the department of social services was contacted by the media, like, did you guys know these were practices? They said, well, the kids have always said this, but you know, look at them. Right. Yeah, Who right. believes they're them. junkies, right. you know, they're criminal junkies. Like most of the people there were not privately there. You know, they were not voluntarily there. And of course, voluntary is all relative. I wasn't either once we right. signed in, mm. um, but you know, that can quickly change. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, a lot of people, everybody that I am still in contact with from back then has had that moment that I've had where, they realize, um, wow, like what have I done? Yeah. What have I been? Well, t- yeah. And in what our case, we were of? in an actual cult. Yeah. <laughs> in our <laughs> case, we were in, you know, and to be able to really say that out loud was a really hard thing. Um, yeah. and to see that I was, uh, you know, my mother was billed for my care because uh, about halfway through, I mean, and this is all in my blog, all stuff I've shared about, but about halfway through that, uh, one year live out phase after I left where you live independently, I was 18, but they still make all your rules. They tell you where you can live. All of that, I was uh, kicked out and excommunicated probably about six or seven months into that. And because I did not, quote unquote, complete my treatment, my mother was in billed something like $25,000. Oh, <laughs> wow. Jesus. Who did not, who couldn't, they wouldn't even let her take me out when she wanted to. Oh, my And she, I don't think she ever paid them. But, um, yeah, they were, I mean, they had her creditors. It was, it was a lot. And this was somebody who my care was already paid for because I was ward of the state anyway. Right. And, um, and I had insurance. So that, that sort of brings me to, um, kind of wrapping up, but, uh, I wanted to tell our listeners that, uh, Erin has this awesome blog and she's, she's done a lot of research, you know, besides living through it, but like she's written some really great, um, blog posts and articles and, uh, expose. Yeah. Why don't you plug it? Well, where, where can they they read your stuff? Because I want to post it on our page. I want to talk to you about that too. And, um, where can they find you and all your writings and stuff? 
So it's fallingphoenix.com, um, and that's my blog, and, and I contribute. I haven't contributed to it in a few weeks, but, um, you know, there's, there's some of my story in it. If you go to the beginning, it starts with what it was like being in the program, but then there's more about the case against, you know, like these are the facts, you know, uh, like things like, I don't know, Beyonce gave them $4 million in 2011. Mm. That's about what they're missing right now. Like, <laughs> And one of their biggest violations ongoing is uh, civil rights, things like LGBTQ. Um, there was a transgender, you know, all of those things, a, pa- a transgender patient that was discriminated against at Phoenix Health several years ago. And and uh, a lot of um, race, racist or allegations of, of racism. So it wow. seems to me that I would have a hard time funding a program. I knew that about, you know, people do not know. Right. They don't know. And, um, they have a Derek Jeter center. Are you, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Are you on the RMA private Facebook group? I think you are. I am. I'm in there. I can find me under Aaron Coffin more. And I I wouldn't recommend following me on Twitter because (laughs) there's something really wrong with me sometimes, but that is, uh, by my, uh, handle there is girl underscore recovery and uh you really so want to do that to yourself today. if someone wants to reach out to you or, or make a post they can actually just post right in the private group and um yeah if you have any questions yeah. for aaron yeah. i mean um it, this is a great addition and i'm hoping that we can get uh put some of uh, your blogs and at least post links to it so people can uh, read it but yeah, um next time i want to talk to you about your experience with that Harry Krishna guy. Cause I have a little, some experience oh, with them as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, who gets recruited by the Harry Krishnas while they're in a cult? <laughs> like nice, they come like, up there to get you. Yeah, that, was a, that was a great for. story. I'm yeah. spoken for, you know? Um, well, thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us. I think this was great. And, um, another stellar addition. And for me, it's just really great to talk to you. I, I yep. love talking to you and, um, yeah, this was great. So Man, thank you, you so much. Yay. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to do another one sooner than later, you know, yep. uh, sort of as, sooner as the, than this time, yeah. yeah, sooner than that. We're going to keep working it in and uh, it's just really great. So we'll talk to you soon and thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Love y'all. Love Bye. you too. Bye. Did it, did Oops, did I hung up? Hang you up. just hung up on her. <laughs> so um, that was awesome. For any of you folks that want to learn a little bit more about the background story of Synanon and how that all sort of morphed into current recovery, uh, there is a podcast called Reveal, and they did a, a series called American Rehab. You might want to check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. I will also link to Aaron's uh, project a blog there. And now we're going to just take a couple minute break and get back into it with Recovery in the News and This Week in Weird. Okay. It won't be a couple minutes for you. It'll be a couple seconds. Okay. Did you finish your Middle Ages recovery bathroom break yes i did bladder bladder of the middle ages what did you say it's like a, a garden like a bent garden hose <laughs> it doesn't come out yes urination yes. in the middle ages urination in the middle ages so and now it's recovery in the news yeah. <laughs> didn't know if we'd make it to recovery in the news today but here we are Should I just let this play out for a while? Okay. Recovery in the news this week. 
<laughs> you slipped that one in under the wire last time. Yeah. And no, I didn't notice it until <laughs> you mentioned it. I think someone is going to hear that and crack up, yeah. spit their coffee out on their dashboard. <laughs> let's, let's hope so. Um, so recovery in the news this week was a, an article that comes by the way of Lifehacker, although it was really uh, based off of a, a twet, Twat. Twat. <laughs> the fuck do you call it? I don't use Twitter, but and you've, tweet you've, us you've, twat. you've totally, uh, you've totally <laughs> screwed up my, my <laughs> vocabulary around Twitter. It was a, a tweet, excuse me, a tweet. Tweet by, from a tweet. By a staff writer on the Atlantic. What's who, the name uh, of the art? What's the title, Mike? Do you let your kids try your alcoholic drink? Oh, good to hear the title. Thank okay. you. Okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so a staff writer for The Atlantic, I guess, got on Twitter over the weekend and asked, uh, or just threw out to the ether, when a little child asks you what you're drinking, and it's definitely wine, what do you say? The response was quick and fairly universal. I say, it's wine, loads of people replied, with some adding that wine belongs in the category of grown-up drinks that they, too, can have when they're older. Mm-hmm. Your seven-year-old, too, can have wine when they're older. Yes. But others want, uh, went a step further and said they quenched their kids' curiosity by letting them have a sip of their own wine, I mm. guess. My dad did that. Mine, too. It worked out well for us. Yes. Uh, the idea is if you give them a sip of wine or beer, chances are pretty good. I don't know where that science comes from. <laughs> pretty that good. They're going to think speaking. it's disgusting, thus ensuring they keep their grubby little hands off your booze. I like the way they characterize that <laughs> for many long years, but others point out how this can backfire. Uh, it's long been debated whether allowing kids to have small and frequent tastes of alcohol satisfies their curiosity and makes them better prepared to resist peer pressure as they get older. I don't see how that would follow, mm. but or whether I've it helps that. them actually develop a taste for the stuff causing them to drink it more heavily at an early age. A significant amount of parents believe it's fine and even beneficial to allow a sip here or there. For kids as young amount? as nine or 10 years old, on the other hand, most experts will advise against it, citing research that indicates there is no benefit and may even lead to more problematic or risk, risky behaviors. It's, My, it's a number of, what was it? An amount of water and a number of people. So this already this article well, is written listen, incorrectly. It's, it's, it's internet prose. Right. And, you know, amount, and you're an English major, so you're gonna, drives me this nuts. stuff is going to drive you it's crazy. It's a number of people and amount of water, not well, an amount of people. Well, Go on. A certain amount of people... Uh, <laughs> um, are wrong, I think. Um, yes. Because tell me what's beneficial about small sips, giving small sips of poison to a seven-year-old. So, Like, hey, daddy's smoking a cigar. Would you like some? Uh, like, I, devil's you know. advocate is you know that they're going to think it's disgusting. They try it when they're, they have a youth taste buds or whatever, and it revolts them. That That's the thinking a, maybe. And a, it's not so mystified. So they well, don't go I guess crazy. It depends when they on can what you're it. drinking. If you're drinking, yeah. you know, cheap scotch, maybe that'll work. But if you're having like Bartles a, and James, for example, a fruity wine yeah, cooler, a wine cooler, or a strawberry <laughs> daiquiri, or perhaps a pina colada, if you will, sure, um, I will. You know, maybe that maybe the kids will think it tastes good, or maybe they have that certain predisposition to enjoying alcohol, or they feel like they want to push through and have another sip to see if, you know, what is so attractive about it because right. like, why is this why so do the special drink it all the time? It's like our movies, like my kids, my 10 year old, um, even my six year old, like they know that these are movies. They're not allowed to, uh, that's the downside to having Bluetooth connected yes, to the, right. Oh, you could kill the volume. I could do that. Um, it's the school calling. I wonder why. Do you have to? No, it's like the main. Oh, yeah. You know, the, okay. 
Maybe they shut the school down. Um, So, you know, what were we just talking about? Uh, Drinking, kids drinking. Oh, our movies. So now they've got this thing in their head that when I'm older, when I'm good enough, when I'm then I can participate in watching these Mm -hmm. horrible R movies with violence, sex and drugs. Right. And um, and maybe it's sort of like that, you know, and and if because I'll let my kids I will watch with my oldest son. I'll be criticized for this, but. I watch, if he wants to watch like John Wick, which is extremely violent, oh, yeah. I, right. I sat there and I watched it with him. And if there's something... Is that like real violence though? That's It's stylized. It's, you know? uh, I wouldn't let sit down and let him watch Caligula with me or right. something, you know? Yeah. I mean, and the child has to have a some grip on f- the difference between fiction and fantasy. And, right. I mean, fantasy and fact. And if you, it's per child, you know, is your kid, do you think he can like my younger one? Not so much. I don't think he'll ever, you know, be that younger kid who's kind of got an older mindset. Not going to sit down next down and watch The Shining with him anytime soon. No, but um, my older one, yes. So, I mean, that's completely different from drinking. And uh, like you said, we both got that. When I was a kid, my dad would just deify uh, German Hefeweizen beer and he would sit there with it. He didn't drink a lot, but when he just drank, he would sip it and like it was the nectar of the gods. He'd go, oh, it's like mother's milk. Right. And that used to drive my uh, brother nuts because he thought it sounded disgusting. <laughs> mother's milk. <laughs> it does kind of And then we disgusting. would make a joke. It's like father's milk. Well, I tell you, my son, Ben, who is, you know, the same age as your son. Big Ben. Um, two summers ago, we were at a family reunion in Virginia and he was drinking what I thought was um, chocolate milk uh, out of a solo cup. He was dipping his cookies in it and eating the cookies. And he's like, these, these, he's like, this is really good, but it doesn't taste like any chocolate milk I've ever had. And it turned out it was a Guinness. And he was dipping his cookies in the Guinness and eating them, and he liked it. And to this day, he has a positive association of Guinness with chocolate chip cookies. I'm calling and, CPS. And a good time. I'm calling CPS. Yeah, well, um, I should have called CPS on whoever was leaving the drinks lying around. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Was it me? It might have been me. I, no. I don't drink Guinness in the summertime, so it definitely was not me. That um, um, I want that Guinness Zero Zero, the non-alcoholic yeah, Guinness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but I mean, so that, therein lies like the danger of, you know, you, they could have a negative association, but they could also form a positive association and a positive memory about it. And that's yeah. a problem. It is. You know? And, and, but you're, you're also fighting um, other kids. You're fighting other parents parents <laughs> other. Here I am talking about parents. English and I said parents, 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 you're like uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. What's that? Yes. Gollum. <laughs> the parents. Yes. My precious. <laughs> um, yeah, so our kids hopefully will not yeah. be alcohol. Anyway, I don't think it's a good idea, but you know, you do you, right? You do you. Recovery in the news. And now, week in weird. Oh, really with that? You always do that. All right. Wait, wait. This week in weird. Yes. UFO sighting sends man to the hospital. A man in Zimbabwe wound up needing medical attention following a UFO sighting, which was so unsettling that he actually fell from his motorcycle in fright. The weird incident reportedly occurred last Friday evening in the town of Chipinji as Richmond Mayambo. 
was en route to his home at around nine o'clock in the evening. The journey took a strange turn when he noticed an inexplicable object in the sky that he likened to a, quote, rocket with fire on its back. Uh Despite doing his best to ignore the oddity and simply focus on getting home safely, the UFO suddenly emitted a, quote, deafening sound that shook Mayabo to such a degree that he was sent careening off of his motorcycle (laughs) to the ground in panic and, in the process, badly injuring his leg. Looking back on the encounter, the man indicated that in the moment, he was certain that he was about to die. Of course, Mayambo survived the strange sighting and is currently recovering from the fall in the hospital. I don't know why this is so funny. I'm just picturing this guy in Namwambo and he sees this and he just falls off his motorcycle screaming. I, th- I think Mayambo should have just admitted to his wife that he had a couple too many and fell off his motorcycle. That's what I think he should have done. Rather than, you know, that, that story's kind of hard to you, sell. You ride a motorcycle occasionally. What I do. If, so can you imagine you're driving across the bridge, you know, down the block, and uh, and there's this UFO. Like, what would you just, like, fall off of your motorcycle no, screaming? No, I would just stop and take a picture of it if <laughs> I could. It's funny because you can picture him dr- riding his motorcycle, and then a corner of his eye, there's this UFO, and he's... <gasps> He's trying to ignore it, but like a few minutes go by and he just can't ignore it anymore. He just freaks out and falls, falls off, off his, his motorcycle. motorcycle. Yeah. So that was... Anyway, uh, that's weird. That's weak and weird. Well, has it been a great show? It has been a great show. It's been a... This week, it actually has been a long this show. This has been... And Every I other said week, it. you're like, it's a long it's show. A long it's show, a long show. It's show. exactly the same. This week is a long show. Um, that about does it for today. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Seriously, seriously, seriously. I want to say this to the people listening. I've been hearing from some of you guys on Facebook that you say that you're listening every week, and it means the world to both of us. Yes, it does. And it's so cool. And I'm so happy to know you guys. And um, hey, this is just a start. So strap in and strap it on. <laughs> 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 Strap it on. We're taking you places you, you never expected to go. You're coming in through the back. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Visit us at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. And Erin Moore's on there. And so, you know, she's awesome. You can uh, reach out to her and... Um, yeah, that'd be cool if she would talk someone who would... Strap it on to talk to Aaron more. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Aaron. Uh, if, you, uh, if you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. We are not an addiction recovery center. No, this some is, of you thought we were, though. That was my fault because I put it in the uh, categories or something. So I took it out so people, you know... Uh, call 911, please. <laughs> don't uh, send us a string of invectives like that one fellow. Yes. Invectives, He's whatever. Been banned. Yes. When, uh, so uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, tweet us at Twat You Twit. I've been Twittering more, by the way. I have noticed. Um, so I'm on there, you guys. You need some retweets. Nobody's retweeting your Nobody's tweets. retweeting? All right, I've got to come up with something more clever. Um, Apple Podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are sold, five star reviews will be read on the air. Um, and we will see you next time. Yes. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Be good.